0: embarking on a study of a new book. The book is Titus, and uh, introducing the subject of Titus and the book is Phil Micley. Phil? And Phil's come from a long journey, so he may tell us about the journey too, but Phil, come on up. Thanks, Joe, very much. Good to have you all here, and I'd encourage you to turn to the book of Titus in your New Testaments. First and Second Thessalonians, First and Second Timothy, Titus is where we are. And we'll not spend much time in Titus today, the, the actual book. Uh, what we'll do is we'll look at a portion in Titus chapter 3. You all receive the outlines. If you have not, uh, raise your hand and we'll get one to you. We need some outlines over here. Thanks, Abadiah. Way up here. Some outlines are needed over here. This coming January, 27, 28, and 29, we have the joy of having John Glock here with us to minister in the will of the Lord. His topic is going to be so great a salvation. You'll really enjoy John and enjoy the presentation that he has to make from the Scripture. We've enjoyed John's ministry so very much here over the years, so God bless John as he does so. Today is a, a full day for us here at Northern Hills, isn't it? It's a day filled with a variety of types of news, uh, some wonderfully glorious with the announcement of a anticipation of a birth of a new baby. Joe said about me taking a long trip, he and Joyce are going to be taking a trip to Seattle, Washington to see their granddaughter and they'll be there for a number of weeks. God bless you as you go, Joe. Thanks for your prayers for Heather and me and our trip back from uh, Albania. I bring greetings from Josh and Bona and the grandkids as well to you all to let you know of their appreciation for your prayers and care for them. It's also a day of extremely difficult news that we have about Kristen and her removal of the cardiac jacket that would stimulate her heart if her heart would stop and her requesting to go into hospice care. I cannot help but think that the Lord is sufficient for all of these things, and even more so. We rejoice with those that rejoice, and we weep with those that weep. And what an example we have in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Turning to the thought of Titus now before we have prayer. In studying the incidents of Titus' life and in preparation for the study of the book of Titus, I find myself admiring the man, Titus. Titus is God's man. We find this in this passage in the book of Titus, Titus chapter 3, verses 4 through 7. If you'd read along with me, please, in your version. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. When the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This is who Titus is. It's because of who he is in Jesus Christ. We are who we are because of the Lord Jesus. It is the Lord that gives eternal meaning to our lives, our thoughts, and our actions. We may admire Titus, but we worship and praise the one who brought meaning and eternal significance to his life and our life. We may admire a person, but we worship Jesus Christ. If we get caught up in Titus and miss the Lord Jesus, we're missing the essence of of who Titus is. May it be the Lord Jesus that receives the glory and praise from our hearts and minds as we study the person Titus and the book of Titus in the weeks to come. As it says in Second, in 1 Corinthians 4, verse 7, what do we have that we've not received? This would be my first point to you all in today's message. We are who we are, because of who He is. Without Him, there is no meaning. We can stack a series of zeros. We can place them side by side in a long line. They're absolutely meaningless. But if we put a one in front of those zeros, everything else behind it has meaning because of who He is and the one that He is. May that be in our hearts and minds as we consider The book of Titus today. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to study the Word of God today and for the introduction of this new book. We would pray your blessing upon the study today and upon the Sunday school classes that are taking place. How wonderful it was to see the teachers. Thank you for them. Thank you for their commitment to these dear children and young people. We ask your blessing upon... uh, the variety of families that we've mentioned, but our heart is just, uh, it's emptied out today, Lord, because of the news of Kristen. And so we pray for your care, help, comfort, blessing, and guidance for this family as they pass through such deep waters, dear Lord. Be with Kristen. Be with Cameron. Be with Abe, Joyce, and Andrew. We commit them to you. We we pray for Susan and Rose that are here as well, grandmother and aunt. So Lord, we just bring them all to you and pray this in Jesus' name, amen. The outline you have is Titus the map, Titus the man, Titus the manuscript, and Titus the ministry. Then on the back there's some more and I'll allude to what that is later on, but let's first of all take a look at uh, the map in connection with Titus. So, uh, Sebediah, would you turn the lights out that are over there on the wall? There we go. Turn them all out. All five. Keep going, Sebediah. There you go. All right. Turn these lights out. No, I can't do that. All right. <clears throat> going to look at the Mediterranean world in Paul's and Titus' day. Here we have, uh, we have Europe and the southern portion of Europe, what we would call Turkey and the western portion of Asia, Syria, Lebanon, Israel. And then moving across here, we have northern Africa. Let's make our map a little smaller, take just a section of the map and expand it for our thoughts here. And this would be the biblical world of Titus and of Paul during this time. You can see my cursor, can you not? All right. Here we have the area of the Lord's ministry in Israel during this time. At 33 AD, we have the death, burial, resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and 50 days later on the day of Pentecost, the birth of the church. And so we have that activity taking place in that area. By 36 A.D., the word has started to spread. There is opposition to the word and we have the gospel being suppressed and suppressed particularly by the Sanhedrin, but also by a young man named Paul, Saul, Paul, who is going to pursue Christians at all costs and wipe out this disruptive sect from his point of view. Around 36 A.D., three years after the Lord Jesus Christ rose from the dead and the church has been established on the day of Pentecost, Saul encounters the living Lord Jesus on the road to Damascus, and he gets saved. During the next few years, you have the expansion of the gospel from Jerusalem, the mother church, the place where the church began, into other areas, and it's mostly due to the activity of Philip the evangelist. Philip, the evangelist, goes to Samaria and he preaches the gospel there. People get saved. They get baptized. Peter and John follow up on this. You then have Philip being directed to the south to interact with someone, an Ethiopian treasurer who has a copy of Isaiah, and he's reading from Isaiah 53. And Philip explains the gospel to him, who, he's taught, who the Scripture is talking about, that it's the Lord Jesus. And then the Ethiopian treasurer gets saved, gets baptized, and goes on his way. So it's slowly uh, moving out. But just a year or so after that, Stephen the deacon, this eloquent, wonderful young man, is arrested, brought before the Sanhedrin. Gives such a tremendous defense of the Gospel and of the way it's come to be there in Israel at the time that he is stoned to death with this young man Saul or Paul assenting to the death of Stephen. With that, you have a scattering of thousands of Christians that go into different areas. And we have now, around 42 AD, the establishment of a church here in Antioch, Antioch of Syria. There are two Antiochs on the map. One is here, Antioch of Pisidia, which is in the large area of Galatia, and Antioch of Syria. Antioch of Syria is the large church, the sending church, the missionary church. It sends, first of all, Paul and Barnabas and later Paul and Silas out on their mission trips. Antioch of Pisidia, Antioch of the Galatian region, that's a smaller missionary church that was established. So we now have the various events that take place in around 47 AD, the first missionary trip takes place. We have Paul and Barnabas being sent out by the Holy Spirit, by the church of Antioch. They go to Cyprus. They come up here into southern, what we would call southern Turkey. They move north to Antioch, Iconium, Lystra, Derby, all of the events there. Churches are established, a retracing of those events, and then coming over here to Antioch to report to the churches what's happened on that first missionary journey. You then have in 49 AD, or around 49 AD, the introduction of our man Titus for the very first time. Here in Antioch, there have been people that have come from Jerusalem that are Judaizing Christians. They want more than just faith in Jesus Christ to be proclaimed. They want something additional to that, the law to be added to salvation. And Paul is absolutely insistent on this. That is impossible to happen. The law was a school teacher to teach us what our sins were. It was to make us feel guilty for what we did. It has nothing to do with salvation. The only way of salvation is by faith in Jesus Christ. Now, Peter was at Antioch at the same time and Paul just would not stand for it. Peter was there with the Gentile Christians that were there and he was enjoying himself in complete freedom. Then these Jewish individuals from Jerusalem came up to Antioch and Peter started to say, well, man alive, maybe I shouldn't be with these Gentiles. And he starts to gather himself with only the Uh, Jews that were there, and it's a situation that is so bad that Paul withstands Peter to his face. How is it that you, as a Jew, could not subscribe to the law, but now you're asking the Gentiles to subscribe to the law? This is wrong. And so a a meeting took place down here in Jerusalem, and there in Jerusalem, a council met. And the council was to decide uh, what really is the gospel. And bringing with uh, the group that came from Antioch down to Jerusalem, Paul selects a Gentile, and his name is Titus. Exhibit number one about the non-need for law to be involved in the gospel. So that's where Titus gets introduced to us. Now, as we go along on our map, I'd like you to keep your eye, one eye, here on the island of Crete, because that's where the action that takes place in the book of Luke occurs, so keep your eye on Crete all the way through this, alright? Then we have around 50-52 to AD, (coughs) a missionary trip. The missionary trip this time is with Silas and Saul, Silas and Paul. And they retrace through this area of Galatia. They try to go to northern Turkey. They're stopped. They try to move in this area. Again, they're prevented. Then they come here to Troas and Paul receives a vision from a man in Macedonia. Come over and help us and they cross from Asia over into Europe. And the churches of Philippi, Thessalonica, perhaps Berea are established. There's a witness that's given in Athens. And then, moving over here to Corinth, we have a team of individuals. We have Paul, Timothy, Luke, all joining together in the ministry that's there in Corinth. And for 18 months, a year and a half, a church is established there in Corinth. It's a vital church. It's a gifted church. It's an active church. And so the things that are established there along with the help of Priscilla and Aquila. Then, after 18 months, Paul goes over here to this large city, third largest city in the Roman Empire at the time, Ephesus. Greets people there and then sails back down here to Jerusalem and quickly back up to Antioch. Then we have, from 53 to 57 A.D., the third missionary trip by Paul. He again traces through here, but he stops here at Ephesus. And at Ephesus, for three years, a church is established there in that large city. And there are other churches probably that come from the testimony that's there in this area. When we think about the seven churches of Asia, they're all located in this area right about in here. So we have Ephesus, and Paul speaks there for three years in the school of Tyrannus. Defending the faith and establishing the gospel. During this time of the three years in Ephesus, news comes from Corinth over here to Paul. Things in the church of Corinth are not good. There's difficulty. There's division. There's strife. There's open sin. Uh, What's going to be done about that? And Paul writes a letter. It's what we call 1 Corinthians. He does a whole series of corrections. After the three years in Ephesus, there's a near uh, citywide riot that takes place there. <clears throat> What's happening is in Ephesus, you had the huge temple of Diana, temple of Artemis. And Christianity has been so successful there in this third largest city of the Roman Empire that over a million dollars of occult equipment, books, books, Amulets, other things have been burned in the middle of Ephesus. It's known by everyone. And the people that would go to this great temple of Diana, one of the seven wonders of the ancient world, the numbers are starting to go down. And the silversmiths that made little copies of Artemis or Diana and of the temple, they start now to lose business. And so they object and they bring their... Union and trade there to the middle of the city. And they cry out in the middle of the amphitheater, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Great is Diana of the Ephesians. And it goes on and on for several hours. Uh, Paul wants to go in and try to stop things. He's prevented from doing that. And so it's an uproarious situation there, the success of Christianity. And Paul now takes this trip in this direction. And what he's wanting to know is what has happened in the response to the letter that he sent to the Corinthians. And the person that he sends there is Titus. It's Titus's job to look and see what the response by the Corinthians is to that first letter. And Paul meets with Titus here at this point. And we'll go into some detail about that. That's the, uh, well, let's, let's go on. He comes down here, comes to Corinth for a period of time, comes back over this way. Comes south here of Ephesus, meets with the Ephesian elders, that's in Acts 20. And then goes back down to Jerusalem to report. And there in Jerusalem, he's arrested uh, there in Jerusalem. This next period of time is from 58 to 62. Paul's arrest in Jerusalem taken up here to Caesarea of Philippi. Excuse me, Caesarea. He's held there for two years. He appeals to Caesar And he asks that his case be transferred there. Then he's taken by ship along here. And down here, he just barely, for a short while, touches Crete. For a short while, perhaps a day or two. What they're doing is they're getting the ship to go to a safer port right here at the western end of Crete. But instead of being able to land there, a huge wind comes along and blows their boat along. And... They land over here in this tiny, tiny little island just on the edge of the map, Malta. And then from Malta, after a period of time there, Paul is taken up here to Rome and placed on trial. Did you keep your eye on Crete? When did Paul and Titus go to Crete? You can turn the lights back on, please. When did Paul and Titus go to Crete? They never did. That's a problem. <laughs> okay, when did Titus and Paul go to Crete? It seems that Paul is released from prison and down here on the island of Crete, there is a great work that's done by Paul and Titus. So that's what our book is about. Paul leaving Titus here in Crete and telling him things that he wants Paul, uh, Titus to accomplish for him. So somewhere from 62 to 64 A.D., that's when we think we have Paul and Titus here in Crete. Okay, now thanks for hanging in there with me. (coughs) Uh, The most difficult part of a lesson plan is the A.V. portion. Andy, you did it great. For some of you with the lights out, you can wake up now and let's go into our into our thought first of all Titus the man we don't know a great deal about Titus from the book itself Titus has been saved through the ministry of Paul it says that in Titus 1:4 he acknowledges Titus as his son in the faith our knowledge about Titus has to be gleaned from Galatians chapter 2 second Corinthians chapters 2 7 8 and 12 and second Timothy chapter 4 Titus' testimony when, where, and what the circumstances are of Titus's salvation, we really don't know much. His salvation is not mentioned or alluded to by Paul, except for a small phrase in the book of Titus. Luke does not mention Titus at all in all 28 chapters of Acts, as opposed to Timothy, who is mentioned six times in Acts. We believe Titus was probably saved at the church in Antioch somewhere around 45 A.D., Titus is known by the churches in Galatia. We know this from Galatians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. Paul brings up Titus's name to the Galatians with no explanation, so they had to know who he was. He brings Titus to the Galatians' churches, such as Antioch Pisidia, Iconium, Lystra, and others that are in the surrounding country without explanation. So we conclude that Titus is well known among the churches of Galatia. Titus was saved through the ministry of Paul. We've concluded that Titus was known to the churches of Galatia, and therefore Titus may have traveled among those churches. In fact, Titus may have borne his testimony and ministered among those churches there in Galatia. Titus was at the church in Antioch of Syria when Paul and Barnabas went to Jerusalem around 49 AD to settle the issue of circumcision and law needed for salvation. Titus must have been a man of some bearing, of some presence, of some gravity, of some confidence in his understanding of salvation and how his Christian walk for Paul to have brought Titus to Jerusalem as an uncircumcised Gentile. He was a Christian that would be among Jewish Christians at the mother church in Jerusalem and was not forced to be circumcised as a Greek. It says that in Galatians chapter 3. Here is Titus. He's openly introduced by Paul to all those that are there in Jerusalem. And he says, this is a Gentile Christian, uncircumcised. Now what do you have to say to this man? Not a Jew put a finger on Titus. Because they could take the measure of Titus and see that he was completely confident in his salvation in Jesus Christ without the addition of anything. And so Paul chose his man thoughtfully, carefully. Someone who would be able to stand his gospel ground and not be swayed by Jews. And these Jews had quite a pedigree. There were Jews who had been with the Lord Jesus, there were Jews who were related to the Lord Jesus. There were Jews there in Jerusalem who had suffered for the sake of the Lord Jesus, and therefore would have a greater position than this mere Gentile Christian that comes from Antioch. They would think that they could have it, that they could push themselves and assert themselves onto Titus. But that is not the situation. Titus does not think that their personal association with the living Lord Jesus Christ had anything to give him an advantage over himself as far as being a full Christian because of his faith in Jesus Christ. It was faith and faith alone that Titus understood that saved him. It was faith in the person, the substitutionary work, the work on the cross by the Lord Jesus Christ, plus nothing else that brings salvation and eternal life, forgiveness of sins. That's the gospel that I preach this morning to everyone here in this room. Jesus Christ has done all the work for our salvation. He died on the cross in our place. He took our sins into His own body. He was punished by God in our place. Jesus Christ is our substitute, fully, completely, eternally satisfied in His holy, righteous character and in the punishment for all sin for all mankind, for all time. God looked at His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, Him taking our place and suffering the punishment that God gave for our sin. The wrath of God fell upon the Lord Jesus Christ there on the cross. We can add nothing to the perfect substitutionary death of Jesus Christ. He has done it all. We must believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and we will be saved. And that, dear ones, is the Gospel. We are sinners in need of a Savior. Jesus Christ is that Savior. God is satisfied with the salvation that was won by Jesus Christ and the cross. And we, by our own effort, by our own thought, by our own actions, by our own obedience, can add nothing to the gospel of salvation in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ has done it all. We now have the promise of everlasting resurrection life in Jesus Christ because He was raised from the dead, will be raised from the dead, or will be caught up together when the Lord Jesus Christ comes near the earth. And we're raised up into glory and this will take place in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Whosoever believes in the Lord Jesus Christ shall not perish but have everlasting life. I openly, happily, joyfully preach the gospel today and urge you if you've not received Jesus Christ as your Savior to do so. There is nothing, nothing you can add to the perfect work of Jesus Christ. Titus was given at least two difficult ministries we know of, Corinth and Crete. We'll look at the ministry at Corinth here for just a few moments. The church at Corinth was established during the second missionary trip by Paul and Silas, picking up Timothy and Lystra and Derbe, and he was joined by Luke in Troas. They crossed over into Europe, into Greece and Macedonia. The churches of Philippi, Thessalonica, and Berea were started. Jewish opposition was so great that Paul went to Athens, witnessed there, and then on to Corinth. Silas and Timothy rejoined Paul in Corinth, and a year and a half was spent by the team establishing the Corinthian church. Paul then crosses the Aegean Sea to Ephesus on the western coast of Turkey. Paul stayed there for a short time, perhaps a month, and then he returned to Jerusalem. Fairly quickly, Paul started on his third missionary journey. He comes to Ephesus and is there for three years. While in Ephesus, Paul hears about conditions in the church of Corinth. He gets this information from people from a household called Chloe, from a person named Stephanatus, another named Fortunatus and another named Achaicus. All of these are mentioned to us in the first letter of Corinthians. The situation there in Corinth needs attention because of the divisions in the fellowship, disorder at the Lord's table, lack of discipline in the use of gift, and out-and-out sin that's taking place in Corinth about which the Corinthians apparently were very proud and boastful because of their broad-mindedness in connection with this sinful issue. Let's state it very plainly. There was a man who was living with his father's mother. There was incest occurring there in Corinth. And it was openly accepted by the Corinthians. In fact, they even boasted about it, just how, how open they were to this kind of activity. Paul had to make sure that he dealt with this. To deal with this situation in Corinth, Paul had to write a very difficult letter to the church at Corinth. By Paul's own testimony, he says, I even made you grieve with my letter, and I do not regret it, though I do regret it because it made you grieve. Sounds contradictory. I wrote a very hard letter to you, it made you feel bad. I don't regret that at all. And yet I love you so much. I do feel badly because it made you grieve. You see the truth and the grace there in Paul at the same time. I had to write a hard letter. I don't regret it. I do regret it because I know it hurt. Paul apparently sent Titus to the Corinthian church to find out what the response has been to the letter that Paul sent. Now, let me say that again. Titus is sent by Paul to Corinth to see what the response by the Corinthian church is to that difficult, hard letter that's caused grief among those. Please notice this. Titus, as far as we know, did not have any prior contact with the believers in the Corinthian church. Now, Paul had boasted to Titus about the Corinthian believers. This seems to be a difficult task that Paul has placed on Titus. He's going to a church he has not visited before. He has to inquire and observe what the response to a grievous letter from Paul is to the Corinthians. He is to judge about the obedience to the directives in the letter by the the Corinthians, particularly about the excommunication of a man who is openly living with his father's wife, likely a stepmother. There are various divisions in the church. There is order in the meetings of the church and other issues that Titus is there to evaluate. It seems that Titus is also tasked with informing the Corinthians about financial collections that are taking place among other churches in Europe so that there can be relief provided for the church back in Jerusalem. Think about what I've just said, and let's put it in today's context. We have someone that we greet at the door there at the back of the chapel. Hi, I'm Joe Smith. I'm here to follow up on exactly how you guys are doing regarding a letter that was sent to you all about how you conduct your meetings about some relationships that are taking place here in the church. And I need to make I need to make this report back to the superior that sent me. I wonder what kind of reception that person would get here at Northern Hills. Now we can argue the point No one today has the apostolic authority that Paul had. You're right, but I'm just trying to get you to enter into what kind of a difficult situation Titus was thrown into there in Corinth. Paul now leaves Ephesus sometime after the near riot in the amphitheater there in Ephesus. The issue is the success of the gospel. I mentioned it as we looked at the map together. This happens around 55 A.D. As Paul is traveling up the west coast of Turkey, he is longing. You, you can read this in 2 Corinthians. He's just anxious, so anxious to get any kind of contact, any kind of word from Titus about what the response is by the Corinthians. This is a difficult trip for Paul. He says, We were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But it made us to not rely upon ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril. It was a tough trip for Paul. Who knows? There had been assassination attempts on Paul's life. And perhaps there are people that are pursuing Paul from Ephesus to make sure that this person who's caused such trouble to the business interest there in Ephesus, that they're trying to pursue this man who's caused trouble. There's, it was a difficult trip, we'll say that, and a near-death experience for Paul as he's going up to encounter Titus and find out. In the midst of this difficulty, having crossed over into Europe, Paul is greatly comforted by the arrival of Titus and his report about what happened in the Corinthian church. There are two parts to Titus's report. The first part is an extremely positive report by Titus. Titus was well-received. He was refreshed by the Corinthians. All of Paul's boasting proved true. Titus, Titus has developed a sincere affection for the Corinthians because of their obedience. Titus reports that the discipline of the sinful situation involving incest has been dealt with. Titus also reports that the collection of funds in Corinth have started and they need to be continued and completed. Titus has a genuine care for the Corinthians. Paul compares it to his own care for the Corinthians. He states there in chapter 7 of 2 Corinthians, Titus loves you just like I love you. Titus wants to go back to Corinth to help them with the completion of the collection of the funds. And it's going to be that Titus will be accompanied by another brother. He's not named there in 2 Corinthians. It's likely Luke. It's someone that is famous among the churches. All of this is very positive, causing Paul to rejoice. And as you read through 2 Corinthians chapters 1 through 9, you can see the enthusiasm, the ebullience, the relief at the great report that Paul receives from Titus about what's going on in Corinth but there's another part to the report and again it's just so plainly bluntly obvious as you read in second Corinthians chapters 10 through 13 Titus has a second and very negative part to the report Titus tells Paul there are people calling themselves super apostles that are active in the church They're Jewish Christians and they're boasting that they knew the Lord Jesus Christ personally in the flesh as opposed to Paul who did not have contact with the Lord during his life. These super apostles are making fun of Paul. They say his letters are weighty, but his verbal ministry and his appearance is weak. These super apostles are teaching false doctrine. They're dominating people in the fellowship. They're making some people act as their slaves, their servants as they're there. And they have gone so far to hit people in the fellowship as a part of the disciplining that's taking place by these super apostles. Paul spares nothing in these last four chapters of Second Corinthians. He says he's coming to Corinth and he's going to deal with these so-called super apostles in short order using His full apostolic authority and power if needed. He says there in chapter 13 of 2 Corinthians, You think that I'm meek and that I don't appear bold. You wait till I get there, and you'll see how boldly I'll act if necessary. It's a solemn warning there that Paul gives. It seems that Titus now takes this second letter, 2 Corinthians, back to the Corinthian church. It's a two parter. The first part is roses and daisies, and the second part is thunder and judgment. How would you like to be the bearer of that letter back to Corinth? Hi, Mr. Smith. Welcome back. <laughs> Well, I've got a second letter for you. Let me give it to you. And you guys see how things are going. It speaks fully of the character of the ability of Titus to deal with extraordinarily difficult situations. Now, he loves these people, but he is the bearer of a tremendous letter back to this group and the letter says from Paul, I'll be tough on these individuals that are causing such problems in this local church. Titus, you deliver that message. Titus is a minister being specially prepared for the ministry that is going to take place in the island of Crete. Let's look from Titus the man now to Titus the manuscript, the book itself and then we'll briefly consider Titus the Ministry. Titus the Manuscript. The book of Titus is a set of directives by Paul to Titus about the things to be accomplished on the island of Crete. In comparison with the letters by Paul to Timothy, one is impressed by the lack of personal comments, personal comfort, or care by Paul for Titus, especially when you compare it to the letters by Paul to Timothy, another young worker in local churches. The closest we get to a tender comment by Paul is in verse 4 of chapter 1, to Titus, my true child in common faith. Nothing else about taking care of yourself. I'm worried about your stomach. I'm worried about how you might feel. Grace, mercy, and peace to you. None of that appears here to Titus. It's very, very pointed. And here is the second point that I want to make here in my message. God deals with different people in different circumstances, with different makeups, in different ways. Let me say that again. God deals with different people in different circumstances, with different makeups, in different ways. God knows each one of us of the character that we have. Timothy was an individual that needed special care. He needed to be gently prodded, thoughtfully nudged, caringly reminded. Titus, not so much. So the letter of Titus is clipped, crisp, concise in relationship to the great tasks That Titus is being directed to accomplish. Timid Timothy, I've heard that title given to Timothy. Paul pushing this younger man, urging him, encouraging him. Paul, being recorded by Luke, has Timothy with him in a variety of challenging situations. Paul, concerned about Timothy's health, taking a little wine for his stomach's sake. Paul, lovingly caring for this young man, Timothy. Where's the loving care for Titus? You look through the letter. You find it. All I find is Paul saying, Titus, I want this and this and this and this done. And... While you're doing it, you're going to have to close the mouths of this person and of that group and in this doctrine. I want you to appoint elders. I want all of these things to be accomplished in a short period of time. God bless you, Paul. (laughs) It may be that you feel at times in your life, God isn't dealing with me like He is with someone else. Look at that person. I'm having a difficult time. They're having a difficult time. They seem to be getting all the attention. Why not me? God deals with different people in different circumstances and in different situations in different ways. And God must believe that He is ministering to you just exactly in the way that you need it for the development of your character and of my character. Do you understand that message today, dear ones? can you believe that God is dealing with you perfectly? Exactly what you need. Perhaps even to the point where you feel like you're being neglected. Neglected by others. (laughs) You see, what God is doing is, He's inviting you into a closer relationship with Himself for the sake of His glory and praise that you're making contact with the living God. As opposed to others in the church or other Christians ministering to your needs, God is saying to you, I'm sufficient for your needs at this time in your life. I'm here to encounter you. You are to have a deeper relationship with me than you'd ever have by others coming and ministering on my behalf. Now, I don't know just exactly what the situation for you is. But I do know that God deals with us differently for his purposes and for his praise. And I also know that God is dealing in perfection with you and me in our lives. Now, if you look at the back of your outline today, you'll see a series of tasks, topics, and treasures that are there. Keep this. This will guide you through the remaining ministry that we have on Paul in the weeks to come. Pray for those that are going to be ministering on those things. Paul is giving Titus a set of tasks to be done, items to be accomplished there among the churches of Crete. Scattered among the tasks are various topics related to the tasks. And finally, among the tasks and topics of the Holy Spirit, through Paul, he has placed at least two treasures to be discovered, to be delved into and to be delivered to our hearts and minds and souls regarding the preciousness of our Savior, of our salvation, our sobriety, and our sovereign in the skies. This is what we'll be studying in the weeks to come. We trust you will know Titus from our time of study, that is, know the book of Titus from our time of study, and appreciate this small handbook of church organization and Christian life. You have tasks, topics, and treasures in Titus that will be following in the weeks to come. The letter is a quick read. Uh, Please listen to this. The letter is a quick read. I encourage you to spend the 20 minutes it takes to read the book of Titus in the weeks to come for our studies. Read through the book of Titus once a week during these next 8, 9, 10 weeks that we have our study. It just doesn't take that long to familiarize yourself with what we're going to be studying. And now let's look at the ministry on Crete. This is what will be talked about over the next many weeks. Apparently, Paul was released from prison in Rome. This would be around 62. Paul hinted at his release in at least two of his letters. In Philippians chapter 2, verses 23 and 24, he says, "...I hope therefore to send Timothy to you, just as soon as I can see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord shortly... I myself will come also. Paul's anticipating being released there from Rome. And he really assures us here in Philemon 22. He says to this man Philemon, this rich, wealthy man, at the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I'm hoping that through your prayers, I'll graciously be given to you. He's arrested. He's there in Rome. And then he's very confident of his release And so Paul, we believe, was out of prison for at least two years. It seems during this time that he and Titus, he and Titus, went to Crete. There, Paul and Titus evangelized cities and towns, established churches. Crete is difficult, crowned in which to work. Here's Paul's description of of Cretans, quoting a Cretan poet from 600 years earlier. Here's Paul's (laughs) borrowed description from a Cretan himself. Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. Then Paul adds this affirmation. This testimony is true. (laughs) Timothy, you've got a tough road to hoe here and this is the kind of people you're dealing with, but I'm leaving you here on the island and I want you to do this work for me. Paul leaves Titus in Crete to do a variety of tasks. Now listen to these tasks. Appoint elders in every town. Preach the word. Silence the opposers to the gospel. Teach sound doctrine. Outline responsibilities for older men, older women, younger women, younger men. Devote yourself to good works and complete all of this in an efficient manner. Man, what a daunting list. And he says this without any emotion I want these things done. And it seems it's not a year's time that's being involved here. It seems a matter of months. He says, I'm sending a replacement for you, either Artemis or Tychicus. Then I want you to meet me in Nicopolis. That's on the west coast of uh, Greece, just south of, I want to make sure I mention this, just south of Albania, Illyrium, where Paul intends to spend the winter. So he's saying to Titus, I want that list of tasks that I've just mentioned done. And I can't help but go into it. I've got a, a lesson in about a month from now. Not only is Titus to do these positive things, he is to shut the mouths of those who are, who are teaching false things. I don't want you to just be a nice guy there in the church and do these wonderful things. Anyone who opposes you, I want them stopped. I want that false doctrine to be dealt with. Man alive. What a person God has made in this man Titus. Titus has Paul's confidence that he will accomplish all the things that are listed above in about six months' time. That would be my guess. Perhaps nine months. What a man Titus must have been. How we praise the Lord for his preparation of Titus, for his glorious ministry, and how we praise and raise glory to the Lord Jesus for his preparation of all of us in the church. And here's a third point. God is using the circumstances that he's brought to your life for the purpose of his ministry in your life. See, I can just look out here and I can see the circumstances that God has put in a variety of lives that I know about because we've shared them together. And I don't say this flipply. God put you through that for a purpose. God put Titus through Corinth for a purpose. It's to get him ready to work on Crete. I have it written here in the margin. Vanessa's not in the room with us now. but I thought of that grand and glorious testimony that I heard just a few weeks ago by Anessa and what she's gone through in her life. And God has put her through that for the purpose of a ministry that only she will be able to fulfill in future days. I haven't asked permission of you, brother. God put Evan and Juanita through something at this time of the year, just a few years ago. So they'll be able to minister to Abe and Joyce in a way that that none of us will be able to. Do you understand what I'm saying? I can look at the whole variety of circumstances that we've been through here at the assembly. And the reason God has put us through those things is so that we're ready for the next ministry that he has for us. And so that you and I will be able to minister to someone else like no one else can. It's an extremely simple thought that comes here from the consideration of Titus and the ministry that he's fulfilled. There's a small coda about Titus's life that we find in 2 Timothy chapter 4. This is what Paul writes to Timothy, Timothy, do your best to come to me soon. Demas, in love with his present world, has deserted me and has gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia. Titus to Dalmatia, or we could say today to Albania. Luke alone is with me. We learn a couple of things from this passage. Titus was with Paul during a portion of Paul's imprisonment. He was there among others, Dr. Luke being one of them. Paul certainly needed a doctor. Titus was caring for, fellowshipping with, and just being there with Paul during his ministry. My own feeling about it is is that Titus did go to Nicopolis to meet Paul and that there in Nicopolis Paul was arrested and Titus went with Paul to Rome during that arrest. The second thing we learn is that Titus has left Paul for a ministry in northern Albania. That's Dalmatia. Paul said that he was in Illyricum, or Albania, in Romans fifteen nineteen, It would seem that Titus and Luke knew each other from their work together in the Corinthian church. Paul certainly needed a doctor in Luke, but now Paul needs someone, or he needs Titus, a veteran of the Corinthian experience and of the Cretan experience to go do something special in Albania. The work of the church must go on through the ministry of Titus. And we are left with Titus going on with the work of the Lord. I See, it's a tender point with me. Work in Albania. I can tell you how hard the work is in Albania. And my son can as well, far better than me. The work of the Lord goes on. As we study Titus in these next several weeks, the applications for us here at Northern Hills will become very apparent. The book of Titus is for the life in the local church. Please be in prayer for those that are studying and preparing messages. Evan has two in a row. He's having to take one this coming week because Abe is not able to. Please be in prayer for Evan as he prepares those two messages. May we all be enriched and may the Lord Jesus be glorified in us and through us as we study the book of Titus. Let's pray. Dear Father, we come to you this morning, this afternoon, and thank you that you've given us this book of Titus. Thank you for preparing your man for this extraordinarily difficult work there in this island. But you have God's people there. There were Cretes that were there, Cretans that were there on the day of Pentecost. Perhaps some of them carried the word back to Crete. I don't know, Lord, but in some way you established your church there and established dealings with with that church. Help us now here. You have brought this group of people together, dear God, for a purpose and a point. It is to minister to ourselves the mercy and grace and goodness of God to help and support one another. But then beyond that, you have put us here in the variety of circumstances that we've gone through in our lives to share the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ with others. Help us, dear God, to do so, we pray. And then a final thought from Titus. Dear Lord, keep false doctrine out of this assembly. Protect us from the evils of Satan that would want to pervert the gospel and make it something different than it is a free gift of salvation by faith in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. Let anyone who's here today that's a stranger to the grace of God realize that they can receive Jesus Christ today at this moment and they'll be saved. Spirit of God, do your work in convicting and converting for the purpose of bringing individuals into the church, into the body of Christ. We look forward expectantly to the teaching in the weeks to come. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for the preparations for the meal. Thanks for all those who brought uh, the delicious food and looked forward to a time kind of food and fellowship together. In Jesus' name, amen.